We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Jack Manuel here for another Brooklyn Buzz, joined by basically our regular co-host, Justin Thomas. Justin, how are we, my friend? Uh, doing well, doing well. You know, I think the uh, the hurt of the Nets being out of the playoffs is kind of lifted, and now I'm getting full into football mode. The draft is tonight, uh, you know, so just ex- uh, excited for football season, but always down to talk some Nets. Yeah, the hurt's somewhat replaced by the revelry of Giannis getting knocked out in five games. Look, look, schadenfreude, I'm all about it. I'm salty as hell. I'm kind of enjoying that. That sort of replaces. If we if we have to feel pain, then we are going to exert that pain to everyone else around us. And you know, this might be a painful exercise that we do today. We're going to be going through player grades overall. We're going to start at the top, get right into it with Mikhail Bridges. Justin, we saw a pretty solid foundation of what could be a, a, a burgeoning star, all-star, maybe all-NBA player in Mikael Bridges. This is coming from a, a tweet that, all, that I sort of did. I gave him an A. How would you grade Mikael Bridges' tenure as a Brooklyn Nets so far? Yeah, I mean, I think I'd give him an A as well. I don't think you could have asked for anything more from Mikael in his tenure with the Nets. I mean, j- just look at it, right? Once he came to the Nets, averaging 26.1 points, 4.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists. Um, what surprised me the most about him was just the way he was able to get his own shots and just be able to elevate to the guy that is the, the the person the offense revolves around. And, you know, in Phoenix, he was a very, very good role player for them. Obviously, the star there was Devin Booker. And then you also have CP3, DeAndre Ayton. But him coming to the Nets, taking on the mantle of being the guy and being able to perform at the level he was. I mean, he was basically performing at an all-star level. There's really nothing bad you can say about him. So that's exactly why I give, I'd give i give him an A as well. Is there a chance we do this exercise next season where we're giving Mikhail Bridges an A+. And we saw some, some little content from the team overall about what the players are going to be working on in the offseason. And Mikhail himself said, like, more ball handling duties, those sort of things. Could you see him take another leap forward? Because this leap, to me, was a surprise and a welcome surprise at that. A lot of people saying he could be a genuine number two guy, a number one guy in a sort of mediocre team, which is what the Nets sort of were. Could you see him jump yet again? 
Yeah, I think what would really elevate him to an A plus ranking for me if we did this again next year would be if is if he is continuing this, you know, 26, 27, you know, per point per game uh pace. I think what caught a lot of people off guard was the fact that I don't think a lot of people knew that Mikhail had this type of offensive bag in him. And, you know, I think we saw that in the Sixer series where now when a team is focusing their entire game plan just on you and they know you're the guy, um, how does he handle that? And, you know, at times he was able to pick up that assignment in the playoffs. And at times it looked like the Sixers had him flustered. But for next year, if you're seeing him keep putting up this type of pace, this 26 point pace, you know, with the, you know, around five rebounds, around three assists, you know, making, you know, upwards of 38, 39 percent from three on, you know, maybe five or six attempts per game. That's when you're really going to get to that A plus territory when he can be the guy and everybody knows he's the guy coming in night in and night out and he's still putting up all-star type numbers that's when he elevates that a-plus ranking for me yeah i think that's a really good point it's about you know your consistency to do it the best players in the league do it you know unless you're Kawhi Leonard, you do it for like three games in the postseason every sort of year but that's what we're sort of looking for mikhail bridges like the guy plays he's played 83 freaking games this year one of the the few players to ever do that but in in saying that i'm also looking towards the playmaking with the ball in his hands, what can he do in terms of reading what the defense is sort of giving him for both himself and his teammates? And some of that's going to require his teammates improving as well. But I think the playmaking out of pick and rolls, the isolation sort of possessions, the tough shot making. Playmaking is an area that I'm intrigued to see. We've sort of seen it in minor spurts. We've seen some you know, pretty nice chemistry with clacks. And I think that can continue to be a positive thing moving forward. But I'm intrigued to see that as well. Yeah, no, the playmaking, absolutely. I think in that playoff series, we saw some times where he would get himself in trouble, you know, when he drives to the paint and, you know, jump passes, right? It's things that you're taught in grade school, like your coaches tell you, don't do it. Uh, we saw him do that quite a bit. Not not to the point where it's like, oh, my God, Mikhail, just stop, stop trying to pass. But you can tell he's trying to generate offense for his team, especially when, you know, the quote unquote point guard isn't doing his job. And, you know, you go back to Phoenix, right? He didn't have to be the guy to have the ball in his hands all the time, right? You have a, a legendary point guard in Chris Paul, right? You have a guy in Devin Booker. Uh, so they're the guys that are be that are going to be controlling the ball most often. They're the ones that are going to be making the most playmaking. And he thrived off the, you know, being in the corner, being on the wing, getting the ball, slashing, doing things like that. So yeah, his playmaking will definitely come around. It's something that he needs in order to elevate himself to that next level where we're talking about, oh yeah, Mikhail Bridges is an all-star. Oh, Mikhail Bridges is maybe an all-NBA selection. You know, to put yourself from just, oh, it was a flash in the pan. It was just it was just 20 games. You know, nobody had any tape on him, no, nothing. For him to be able to increase his playmaking while also continue, continuing the efficiency he had on the offensive end, that'll be a big help for him going forward. Yeah, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. And we mentioned Clax there. We'll get to him next. I gave him an A as well. I think that there were points in the postseason where you could have your reservations, but I think anything less than a B plus might be looking down on on what I... I it's weird. The Clax conversation got... Uh, a little bit distorted, you know, on, on that sort. I know we're pretty present on that. And I was just intrigued to hear, one, your grade, and, and one, your thoughts on on that in terms of Clax's postseason and I guess his trajectory overall as a, as a as a genuine piece on a contender at that center position. Yeah, I'd, I'd, dev I'd give him an A-. minus. Um, I think the leaps and bounds we saw Nick Claxton take was exactly what we've been waiting for, right, in the four years he's been on this team. And we've seen spurts and, and little tidbits of it right but we never got a consistent effort from him but this year played 76 games started 76 games the most games he'd played in a season 
Um, I believe it was close to the most game, just almost the amount of games he played this season was the amount he's played in his entire NBA career, which was pretty impressive. Um, the one thing that really stands out to me was just how well he was able to defend without fouling. I know that was an issue with him last year, just a little bit of immaturity on the defensive end, jumping when he didn't have to. You know, he's he's got length, uh, so he doesn't have to jump as much. He can get his hands in the passing lane. Uh, him being able to just handle some of the centers in the league. And yes, I know he start, he struggles with the Jokic's. He struggles with the Embiid's. But we've also seen him rise to the occasion against guys like that as well. I don't think you can name 10 centers in the league right now better than Nick Claxton. He's he's an athletic freak. He can get down the court. He can honestly, one of the most surprising things was the way he was able to handle the ball. We saw him on a few occasions taking the ball coast to coast off of steals or off a block and getting a dunk or kicking it out to the corner for a for an open three to his teammate. So those are the things that really, really stood out to me for Clax. Um, obviously, his field goal percentage leading the league there, uh, 70.8%, you know, not to say injuries are great, but, you know, thank goodness Walker Kessler didn't play the last three games or maybe we'd be having a different conversation in that respect, aspect. But in the Depoy conversations all year, I think he still got snubbed in terms of being a part of the, the top three. You know, shout out Jaron Jackson Jr. for what he was able to do. I'm not taking anything away from him. Same with Brooke Lopez, you know. Obviously, everybody remembers and loves Brooke Lopez. But Nick Claxton for all year, not even just when the Stars were here, but even after they were left, even after they left, he still – held his own in terms of his defensive acumen and i think he should be credited for that obviously there's some instances and and some some things he can clean up the free throw shooting was something he worked on and i credit him for not shying away from it like some players in the league have and continue to do but i'd also say maturity is also a case as well we've seen him get some unnecessary technical fouls i love the the aggressiveness and intensity that he brings it reminds me of a Kenyon Martin type, somebody who, yeah, you know, sometimes you need to hang on the rim a little bit more just to rev up your teammates, rev up the crowd. But as we saw in that Sixers series, and granted, I still think it was a very weak tech, but at the end of the day, you know, sometimes a, a more mature player wouldn't have flexed in that situation. And knowing that you have a technical foul already, you wouldn't put yourself in a situation where you would get thrown out of the game. And as we saw, that was a big swing point in that fourth quarter. So I, for for the amount of greatness and and great and, and good things that we saw from Claxton, he still has some things he's got to work on. But overall, I, I, like I said, A minus for Clax. Uh, I don't think you could have asked for any more uh, for him. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed this season.
Yeah, he was, look, Nick and I are, are massive, massive fans of Clack City. And, you know, you mentioned a DPOY conversation. I think he finished fifth in most improved player as well behind our very own Mikhail Bridges. And you know, we were big on that bandwagon. You were as well. The improvements he made, not just defensively, but offensively, as you alluded to, just the comfort with the ball in his hands. I think low-key just being a center, like his rebounding was really good this year, just doing the center things, screening quite well. Those were issues that I had with him in, in seasons past. I'm like, this guy just like loves a ghost screen. He loves the, you know, to slip screens and stuff. But he was strong this year. He was creating space for his teammates. And look, I'd give him an A plus if, if it was based on my like irrational love for him and standard for him like you to Watanabe and Joe Harris and Paddy Mills in seasons past. But yeah, I think there is still a ways to go for him. I, I'm really intrigued to see how he continues to improve offensively and if he can continue to you know stay and get stronger because there's there's question marks about his ability to be you know, out there when the games do matter. You know, game one and game two versus game three and game four. What do you look towards? I think you you, t- you take both of those with a grain of salt and sort of go, look, I think Nick Claxton can be a genuine guy on a playoff team. Can he be a starting five? Maybe. I think he can. But there are legitimate questions about him. Like, does he need to space the four a little bit more? Does he need to be more of an offensive threat? You know, if he's not a, a lob threat, like, what is his offensive presence out there? But he's also one of the most dynamic defensive players in the NBA, let alone out of his position. So I think focusing on the good more than the bad, especially after what us Nets fans have endured, endured the last couple of years, is a good thing. But, yeah, Clack City can continue to, to improve. And I'm intrigued to see what he does in the offseason. I'm also intrigued to see what Cam Johnson does in the offseason, uh, Justin. What would, grade would you give him? I gave him an A, and I think a lot of that came from maybe he was the best player in the postseason for the Nets. You know, I'd, I'll give him a B. Uh, very, again, it, it's kind of hard to really gauge off of just a 20-game or so sample size, and then you throw him into the playoffs. Uh, you know, and everybody didn't expect the Nets to to come out on top of that, but I was very impressed with his playoff performance um obviously game four kind of a little bit of a downer but at that point it's again i'm not taking anything away from him he definitely earned himself a pretty decent paycheck pretty big uh payday uh coming into this offseason which i think the nets will i I think the nets will keep him just because you got to keep the twins together i think their chemistry and i think they're important to what the nets hope to build in the future uh but for him i mean he even said it with his uh you know i guess postseason the the TikTok or whatever the, the social media video was, um, you know, some of the things that he wanted to work on. I think him just being able to space the floor is really important for the Nets. If he can be a guy that can get you three or four points per game, I don't think he's as sound defensively as Mikhail Bridges, but he's still no slouch. I think he definitely gives your defense a lot of versatility out there, a lot of athleticism, as we saw at different points throughout the regular season and in sometimes in the playoffs. I mean, we're always going to remember that poster dunk on Joel Embiid. You know, we might as well get that framed and put that outside of Barclays right now. But, you know, other than that, Cam is is a solid player. He's definitely a guy that you want on a team that's it's building towards something, building towards a future. You know, there there are times where he can get lost offensively. I think one of the things he talked about was just being able to create create offensively for himself. And I, I'd, lo- I'd love to see that. I'd love to see him be able to put the ball on the floor, you know, take his man off the dribble. There were certain times where I'm like, yo, like Cam, like you're – you're bigger than this guy or you're faster or you're stronger than this guy. You don't have to live out on the wing all the time. You can blow by this guy. Um, and I think just get that consistency and that aggressiveness is what's really going to help him there. So yeah, B, uh, I give a B grade for cam. Uh, hopefully see him back here uh, next year wearing the uh, Brooklyn Nets colors. 
One thing I was surprised about was there were a few moments where, as you alluded to, you know, the self-creation is the, the hardest skill in the NBA and probably the most important skill when it comes to when the games matter most. And we saw that from uh, Cam Johnson you know, in, in quite a few instances. I think the one thing that can make him really consistent there is, and I think it's a skill that almost gets underrated, is the, the tightness of someone's handle. You know, I think that's what's taken Jalen Brown to being like an all NBA player because heading into the to the draft, he was like, Well, this guy's doesn't have a tight handle, like what's he gonna be able to do when it has the ball in his hands? And he's turned into that. Cam Johnson I've seen moments and instances of that. He has awesome size as well, like six eight, six nine sort of guy, as you were alluding to, you know, punishing mis- mismatches, all these different sort of things. And you know, he's shown a lot, he's gonna get a big payday. I guess I'll ask you the question, Justin, because I'm gonna discuss it with Nick going forward as well. What do you see happening in the offseason when it comes to rival teams, the Nets themselves? We've seen Cam Johnson go on social media responding to Mikael Bridges saying, yeah, we're just getting started, all these sort of things. What do you see the future of Cam Johnson being in Brooklyn and, and Houston being a rival for, for his services? How do you feel about that? Uh, it definitely helps that Mikael Bridges is still under contract for the next few years. Uh, I think if Mikael was probably leaving next not to say leaving, but if he was a free agent next season or heading into this offseason, you'd be a little bit more worried about the future of Cam Johnson. But I think the rapport that they have and the relationship that they have, and they do off the court together, they do everything on the court together, just everything that they do together, the twins themselves, I think that's what's the big key in keeping Cam Johnson here. And obviously, Mikhail is going to be huge in, you know, saying like, hey, you know, bro, just stay here. We can build something. You know, obviously the Nets are going to need to bring in, you know, more star power. But I think Cam Johnson is a guy that you can put around a star and he'll elevate his game. I think same, same with Mikhail Bridges. We, we we talk about him as being a possible number two. But Cam with another star on this team can elevate his game as well. And I think teams f- figured out that, you know, you can key in on on Cam offensively because there isn't that go to guy really like that. They only have so many options on the offensive end. But it would be massive for the Nets to keep him, obviously, at a certain price. You know, sometimes, I mean, if, if a team's going to give him like $150 million, I don't know if I don't know if it's worth bringing him back at that point. But I've seen some some numbers thrown out there. I've seen some four years for 90 mil, uh, which is definitely doable for the Nets. It's not like you're contending truly next season. Uh, so you have some money to play with. And. Yeah, I think it's, it's there's a high probability that he comes back next season, just given his relationship with guys on the team right now. Uh, it looks like this is a place that he wants to be in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all on the uh, Cam Johnson returning train. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've, I've got a lot of love for him. And I, I sort of said that, you know, I've chatted about this a lot. I don't want to put a ceiling on on this sort of guy because what I saw in the postseason from him when the games matter most, when the lights are brightest, and, you know, Jared Allen, you know, they got a bright for him, as he sort of said, former Brooklyn there. But, you know, Cam Johnson absolutely shone in those moments. And, and that says a lot about a player. And, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what that number does eventuate to. There is uh, some roster management that, that Sean Marsh is going to have to do. And, you know, Cam Johnson, that decision is is one of them. He said that you know, there's a strong desire to have him back as well. So we'll see how it plays out. I'm sure we're both hoping we see Cam J as well as maybe the other Cam as well in, in the Brooklyn Nets uniform for the long term. But let's get to Spencer Dimwitty, uh, Justin, because... This is a, a conversation which could probably be had for an entire episode, but let's start with the net. I went the C plus. I think I could have easily gone with the B minus, gone into the B's, being a bit more optimistic about him. But I just thought that 
what we saw from him post Carl Kuzma beef was exactly the opposite of what I wanted to see from Spencer Dimity because pre Carl Kuzma beef for the like last sort of five, 10 games of the regular season, we saw the complete Spencer Dinwiddie game in terms of facilitation, you know, his ability to get his teammates involved, making the right shots, driving, doing all the things that we know Spencer Dinwiddie does best. And then come the postseason, he started feeling like he had to be the number one sort of guy and his efficiency went out the window. The blinkers were on. He didn't get his teammates involved. You know, if we're, it's almost like I could give him two separate grades or three separate grades because like he's sort of been emblematic of what has been being a Brooklyn Nets fan, the up, the down, and everything in between. But is, is C-plus too generous? Is it too critical? What? You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Um, you know, it's tough because people are going to say I'm biased because I was very, very heavy anti Spencer Dinwiddie for a large chunk of the playoffs and like late into the season. But I'll give him a C minus only because it's just I expected more. I just I just really expected more from Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, in terms of our he comes back to Brooklyn and you needed to be the guy to help out Mikhail. You need to be the guy to just run the offense. And yeah, like we can look at his i mean granted like like you said he had a great a tremendous stretch of basketball i believe from march 10th to i believe april 7th right he was averaging 10.9 assists he was averaging 15.7 points per game uh there was a couple game i think he had the one big game where he had like 16 assists he had a couple 12 assist games so we saw the facilitating there but it didn't take away from the head scratching moments and the hair pulling moments where you're like spence what are you doing because and then you especially go to the playoffs where you're like, all right, Spence, there's not a person on the set on, on the Sixers that can stay in front of you. I don't at least in my opinion, I didn't think there was a defender on the cell on, on the Sixers that could have stayed in front of Spencer Dinwiddie. And what would open up the Nets offense is getting a paint touch, right? Driving to the basket. You know, this downhill Dinwiddie that we was in Brooklyn his first time around, it just wasn't there come playoff time. And, you know, if you're gonna talk big, you know big talk on Twitter to Kyle Kuzma, you have to back it up. And the fact that he didn't, and the fact that how poorly he played in that series is just, I don't know. It's just very frustrating. And I take that, I put that heavily because it is when the lights are brightest. Right. And I think if the Nets, we, we were in agreement on Nets Twitter, where it's like, if the Nets had a competent point guard, they'll take, they, they could have taken a game or two in that series. Not to say that he is, you put all the blame on him, but that offense bogged down a lot because of his inability to not only shoot the ball from deep, but also get the ball into the paint, drive, collapse the defense, kick it out. I mean, if you have this whole 
notion from the coaching staff of we need to get 43s up. We need to get 53s up. Well, it helps when you your point guard can dribble the ball in. It brings in defenders and it opens up wide open shots for a Royce O'Neal, a Mikhail Bridges, a Cam Johnson, you know, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, et cetera, et cetera. They're a lot easier attempts when you're wide open than when a guy is able to close out and defend you. So, yeah, it you have the good Spencer Dinwiddie, you have the bad Spencer Dinwiddie, and it feels like every other game or, you know, you, you don't know which one you're going to get. Me personally, I'm okay with Spence being on the team. I don't think he should be your starting point guard, though. If you can bring in somebody else, cool. Uh, if the Nets moved off of him, would not bat an eye in the slightest. Uh, it's just gotten to the point where you need consistency at that position, and he's not a guy that has shown that he can do that when given a bigger role. In Dallas, it was perfect. He had Luka there. He had Jalen Brunson there. It was fine. He didn't have as much on his plate. You, We gave him a lot on his plate, and he pushed it back. And in my opinion, that's why I have to give him a C, uh, a C grade. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think that it depends on what you look more towards. And I think both of us are looking more towards the postseason when the matches matter most. And again, it's one matchup against a, a far superior opponent when you know a, a larger body of work, maybe Spencer did this, but he also was inconsistent at times and you know had his rhythm in and out of sorts. So it'll be interesting to see what his future is in Brooklyn or outside of Brooklyn. You know, one of the many questions uh, that I'm sure we'll be watching. But let's get to the two main role players Justin and, and DFS and Royce O'Neal. Now, I might even change my grade for Dorian Finney-Smith after the news, seeing that he had a finger surgery. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense why he didn't hit a goddamn three for however many months. And then Royce O'Neal, I gave a B minus. I think I judged that on a full body of work. There were some poor games here or there, but you know his reliability, his tenacity, his ability to hit a shot at the right time. And you know, he was, he, the light's got a bit bright for him at times, but some of his defense on Joel B was also pretty goddamn good. So I think I was just a little bit higher on Royce O'Neal than Dorian Finney-Smith because DFS really struggled from three. And maybe from being nice, I'd give that as a C plus because of the fact that he was playing through injury. And that shows, you know, real toughness about him. And you know, he had a couple of nice moments in terms of, you know, his rebounding tip-ins, a bit of athleticism. He's a strong-ish defender. I thought he was, you know, okay in that department. I expected maybe a little bit more from him. Um, but in, in saying that, what would you give those two role players for the Nets in terms of a grade and your assessment of them? Yeah, I'll start, I'll start with Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, that one, that one kind of hurt because I've been on the Dorian Finney-Smith train for like three years now. I've been a big fan of him. I, I loved his work when he was with the Mavericks because he literally gave you the prototypical three and D guy. And you saw a lot of people with the Mavericks on the Mavericks Twitter, things like that were upset with that Kyrie Irving trade because they were, you know, losing their best defender. And as you saw with the Mavericks, their defense was atrocious down the stretch of the season, which played in large part to them missing the playoffs. Um, the three point shooting, you know, the, the defense was there. We, 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 we had the D pause, but the three was missing. Right. And that's the thing that really separates you in terms of being an elite role player or just kind of just being another one of those guys. And, you know, granted, yes, with the, you know, the news of him with with with, with the finger issue. Yeah, it definitely kind of takes a little bit of the blame off of him. Uh, all the blame. No, because we've seen guys play through busted up fingers all the time and still hit shots. Um, I also give, you know, give him a little bit of a pass because it's it's tough going into a completely new team where literally the entire 
starting lineup is a collection of guys from three different organizations who do three different things and things like that. Yes, he had he has you know familiarity familiarity with Spencer Dinwiddie, but you're throwing in Nick Claxton. He's never played with. He's never played with Mikael Bridges. Never played with Cam Johnson. You know, so all these guys and they don't know really where somebody likes to ball. You know, I like it on my left side. I like it on my right side. You know, I like it in in, in rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd, I'd, I'd love it if he's still here. I think he has a lot to give the Nets. Obviously, if there's a way you can package him for a better player, you do that. Um, you know, you're not necessarily married to a guy like this. So in terms of my grade, I'll give him a C. Uh, it's, it's one of those. It's kind of hard to, you know, again, 20 game sample size. Uh, from what I saw, I thought he could have been better. Uh, defensively, there are times where he's had some lulls, but I think there's other times where it's like, yo, like this is really the guy. Like you can see why Mavericks fans were upset that they traded him because he is locking up somebody. He's making it tough for them. Uh, so go, I'll go with the C for him. Royce, I know Royce has been a, a, a topic of conversation on Nets Twitter for literally the entire year. Cause at some point it's like, oh my God, you know, we're vindicated by the Sean Marks trade. And then there's other times where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe we gave up a first round pick for Royce O'Neal. And it was like a back and forth, like every other month we were, we were kind of going back and forth about it. But that was overall- literally me every <laughs> single month with myself, actually, to be fair. Sorry, Justin. <laughs> no, nah, it's all good. It's, it's, it's funny because, you know, there's, there's times where I'm thinking about it too. It's like, I damn, like Royce would have like a really bad week. And it's like, damn, like, this guy's just not it. Like, like we, we were sold a bag of, of, of peanuts, but then he has, you know, two or three good weeks. You are like, all right, this, this is the role player that I can understand why you would give up a first round pick for. And I look at the playoffs in particular. And I, I think it, it, it spoke to what Royce does best on the defensive end. And I think what got lost in translation, I don't think Royce is a great perimeter defender in this, in a sense. And I think a lot of people kind of thought he was, he is fantastic as a post defender, at least in my opinion. I think he is great at post defense. Um, he uses his body well, you know, a little undersized when going up against bigger guys. But as we saw in that series against the Sixers, he was making Joel Embiid's life absolute torture and hell. And I mean, I don't honestly, he might be the strongest person in the league because for him to be able to quote unquote throw Joel Embiid to the ground so easily, being <laughs> undersized at like 55 pounds and like like six inches, like it's it's crazy. But I saw so many good things defensively from Royce in that series where it's like, I would understand keeping him around offensively. Yeah. He would love if he made more shots. And I think an underrated part of his game is definitely the facilitating. I know me and Nick have talked about this, about Royce uh, on the, on the pod, his facilitating is something that caught me off guard. Cause there'll be, uh, cause there'll be times where I'm looking at the box score. And it's like, wait a second, Royce had six, seven, eight assists. Like when, when did this happen? And then you look at the game film and like, Oh wow. Like, He's really moving the ball. He's not a ball, obviously he's not a ball stopper. He's somebody that knows how to drive the paint when he needs to. Uh, he's a good slasher. He finishes well in transition as well. So I think in terms of a player grade for him, I'll give him a B minus. I'll give him a B minus. Uh, I really liked what I saw from Royce. Uh, if if you can pair him on the defensive end with a lot more guys, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit bigger. I think he does get exposed in terms of rebounding, but I think the whole team does just because we're, they're undersized. So B minus for Royce. Again, another guy that I wouldn't mind having back, but if you can package him in a trade, you know, for another star, you, you do it. It's not something you would lose sleep over, but he's definitely a guy that you can keep around the Brooklyn Nets as a building block, maybe not a building block, but just a, a, a guy on the roster that can fill in and provide some quality minutes. 
Yeah, the Nets have a heap of those guys, which is you know, good flexibility to have, how they use that flexibility. Going forward, this offseason is going to be intriguing to see. I think we're going to end this one there, Justin, because I think the role-player conversation could be a fun one for a part two, and I want to get you for that. Maybe we'll get Nick on board for it as well. I think it could be a fun discussion discussing Cam Thomas, Yusuf Watanabe, Dayron Sharp, these sort of guys, Edmund Sumner, and, and maybe even we might even throw in Jacques Vaughn and, and the organization as a whole. But oh, oh, As a whole, sorry, not as a whole. But it's been really, really fun chatting with you, Justin. Let everyone know where they can find you if they don't follow you already, which they should be. All right, uh, they can follow me, J underscore Thomas underscore 24. Um, I'm no longer with Nets Republic. Stepped down after four years. Uh, it was just things in life, profession. It was just, you know, time to to move on. So I'll just be going crazy on my personal Twitter. Um, I'll still be doing the Nets things. Uh, I don't know if I'll write articles. Uh, I don't know where that's going to be, but... You know, I'll still be around. If you guys need an extra guy to come on the pod, that's pretty much my job at this point. I'm just a pod. I'm just a podcast free agent, mercenary for hire. And <laughs> and, and you dominate that profession, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, stay tuned for more content going forward in the off season. Nets world, we still going.